Today on the Matt Wall Show, we hijacked the Women's March this weekend to let all the attendees know about my new film, What is a Woman? Today I'll play the full trailer for you and we'll talk about why the film is needed and what we hope to accomplish with it. Also, speaking of why the film is needed, three middle school boys have been charged with sexual harassment for misgendering, quote-unquote, a classmate. And the media vulture is immediately set to work politicizing a mass shooting in Buffalo. Plus, the mayor of Chicago poses for embarrassing photos in Texas while violence rips her city apart. And our daily cancellation, an immigrant posts a sign in his Uber instructing passengers not to ask him where he's from because that question makes him uncomfortable and sick. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Well, you know, leftists are raging more than ever these days. I thought it was something to do with Roe v. Wade. Nope, it turns out uh, they heard about Backstage Live, and they're just terrified they won't get tickets. That's right. On June 29th, Backstage Live is back at Nashville's historic Ryman Auditorium with me, Ben Shapiro, Jeremy Boring, Andrew Clavin, and Michael Knowles. To buy your tickets right now, go to dailywire.com slash Ryman. Last year, Jeremy said it. We need your help to fight back and save the culture. Well, together, that's what we've been doing. We went toe-to-toe with the government over unconstitutional mandates, and we won. We threw down the gauntlet to woke, multi-billion-dollar corporations like Harry Razors and Disney. Harry's Razors and Disney. We're boldly exposing the truth about Fauci, the pro-choice movement, and my personal favorite, radical gender ideology. At Daily Wire, we talk a lot about you know building the future. With your help, we're making it happen. Join us on June 29th, and let's celebrate these wins together, because they are all of our wins. You don't want to miss out. Get your your tickets backstage live today at dailywire.com slash Ryman. You know, I used to see left-wing protests and demonstrations as mere annoyances, you know, events to be dismissed and ignored, basically. But now I see them as, well, still events to be dismissed in a lot of ways, but also as opportunities. And with feminists across the country gathering together on Saturday for another women's march in response to the impending end of Roe, we decided it'd be a perfect time to, um, finally unveil the full trailer and official premiere date for my upcoming film, What is a Woman? After all, you know, I know from filming the documentary that the women at the Women's March are the most confused of all about what a woman actually is. So uh, this film should be of great interest to them and very useful to them. You all that time, spend all the time at the Women's March, you think you want to figure out what a woman actually is, so figured this would be a good way to tell them. That's why we thought they would appreciate it if we hijacked their event to promote the film. And as it turns out, um, they didn't appreciate it very much, but I still had fun, and that's really what counts. So for the Women's March in D.C., we set up um, these uh, mobile billboards on the back of trucks, and we had them circle the march all day long. And the billboards asked a pertinent question, which is, if you can't define what a woman is, how can you have a women's march? Good question. And then, of course, we provided the URL, whatiswoman.com, to, uh, where you could see the whole trailer and become a member of the Daily Wire. I doubt we gained very many subscribers from the D.C. Women's March, but at least we gave them a, a question that they could ponder. And the same in New York City, where Jeremy was nice enough to let me use his Jeremy's Razors billboard to pose the same question to all of Times Square. There was a Women's March in New York as well. And then there was the L.A. Women's March, where we took things perhaps a step or two farther by posing the ultimate question, what is a woman, to the entire L.A. Women's March all at once via message in the sky. So a skywriter wrote the question in the sky over top the city while another plane carrying a banner with whatiswoman.com circled around all day. Now, the funniest thing about this was um, the reaction from L.A. residents who had no context at all and perhaps didn't even know that a women's march was happening and yet emerged from their homes on Saturday morning to find this question emblazoned across the heavens as if God himself was prompting them to think about it. I should also mention that the hashtag, what is a woman, was trending on Twitter, moving up the trending charts quickly, threatening to overtake all of the women's march hashtags until I posted the picture of the skywriting, at which point the hashtag disappeared from Twitter's trending topics all at once, just like that, never returned. Apparently, I think it maybe it was, a, it was a bridge too far for the folks at Twitter, many of them who live in that area, and uh, I guess decided we were simply having too much fun. And we were. But trolling aside, the important point, I think, is the film, which, again, will officially premiere. We can finally announce on June 1st. You may remember that we originally said it would premiere in May, but that was before we remembered that June is Pride Month. And we simply could not pass up the opportunity to unveil the trailer during the Women's March and then premiere the film on the first day of Pride Month. They just the symmetry there. It's, it's, it's poetry. It's poetic, I think the way things work work out that way. 
Now, if you think we went literally above and beyond for the Women's March, you just got to wait and see what we have in store for, for Pride Month. And the first thing we have in store is the movie itself, of course. And for just a small taste of what the film is all about, I'm going to play the full trailer for you right now. If you're listening to the audio podcast uh, and you want to see the visuals that go with this, and trust me, you definitely do want to see the visuals, then you can go to my YouTube channel or whatiswoman.com after the show and check it out. But for now, uh, here's a trailer. Let's watch. What is a woman? Can you tell me that? <laughs> well, you're at the Women's March. You must have some idea. Please, if, if one person could tell me what a woman is. You are not here for women. We ask you to leave. What is that? I'm a husband. I'm a father of four. I host a talk show. I give speeches. I write books. I like to make sense of things. A woman is not anything in particular. There is not one particular thing. It could be many things to many people. Some women have penises, right? Some men have vaginas. I like scented candles. And I've watched Sex in the City. Yeah. How do I know if, if I'm a woman? That's a great like, question. You're not a scientist. You're not a gender studies major. No. How do you know that you're a man? I guess because I got a dick. Can a man become a woman? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a woman, so I, I can't really answer that. Women only know what women are. Are you a uh, cat? No. Can you tell me what a cat is? Do you want to tell us what a woman is? I'm a biological woman that medically transitioned to appear like a male. I will never be a man. And so they go on the internet and they're told that all their problems will be solved if they become a man. So you worry that there, there could be a sort of social contagion element of this? A teeny tiny bit, maybe. It got me at 42. Your child doesn't have a chance. And you're affirming it with hormones that have never been used in this way. Puberty blockers, which are completely reversible. Completely reversible. One of the drugs used is Lupron, right? Which mm -hmm. has actually been used to chemically castrate sex offenders. You know what? I'm not sure that we should continue with this interview. So you don't want to talk about the drugs that you give to kids, or? How can they be removing the healthy breasts of 15-year-old girls? There are masculine girls. There are feminine boys. What are we going to do about that? Carve them up? How can this whole thing be happening, Matt? I wanted us to have a safe place to be able to talk about this. Part of me wants to ask why you care so much. I, I care about the truth. I care about children. I care about the women who are having their opportunities stolen from them. Is it transphobic to tell the truth? The interview's over. Let's turn off the cameras. Excuse me. They're fair cry. I just wanted to know what is a woman. And you're not going to find out. Based on what I'm saying, would you ever want to move to America? <laughs> they say no. Never. <laughs> We'll see when it comes out. Yes, you will. You will. Um, June first again is the premiere date. If you have been, if you've been putting off becoming a Daily Wire member and procrastinating, then what I would say is that uh, now is the time. And if you if you're thinking about it all, if you have it in your budget, become a Daily Wire member, or maybe get rid of one of the fifteen other streaming services that you don't need and have nothing but crap, and uh, go sign up for the Daily Wire. Go to whatiswoman.com right now and sign up, or wait for that till after the show, and then sign up. You know, one of the worst things about trailers is that so often they spoil the film because they show you all the best parts, and you see the trailer, and you're like, this is, looks good. Then you go watch the movie, and you think, well, I already saw, the, this is the, the best part of the movie I already saw. That's not the case with this trailer, because the best parts, and by that I mean the most outrageous, shocking, hilarious, disturbing, sometimes all those things at once, parts are um, being saved for the film. I can assure you of that. What you saw there is just sort of the tip of the gender-confused iceberg. And hopefully it's enough for you to see that, though we're doing a lot of fun trolling to promote the film, What is a Woman is not itself merely an exercise in trolling. I mean, there's some of that because it's me and I can't help myself. But the titular question is just the beginning of the journey. It's the door into the gender ideology rabbit hole. And we dive into that rabbit hole and trace it all the way to the bottom. We stare into the abyss and the abyss stares back. Now, I could tell you just from filming it that, you know, there are plenty of moments when I had to stop myself from bursting out laughing, but also plenty of days when we wrapped filming and I had trouble sleeping at night because I felt so unsettled by the things that we'd seen, the conversations we had, the 
things that we learned. Uh, there were a couple of times in particular when we talked about this when we were done filming on these days. It like felt like we were, you know, glaring directly into hell or something because in a way we were. Now, my hope then for the film is that it will rip open the curtain and reveal gender ideology for what it, what it is. Uh, this is a movement that has gripped hold of our culture largely by deception, threat, and force. Certainly not by making compelling arguments and convincing people. So case in point, I have here the results of a new poll from uh, McLaughlin and Associates and Summit.org. And this shows just how unconvinced most people are. So listen to some of these numbers. In response to the question, do you believe it's possible to distinguish between men and women? And of course, we mean like physically. Of those who gave a response, 93% said yes. Of course, gender ideology tells you, no, you can't. You cannot. There's nothing physical about someone that would tell you anything about um, whether they're a man or a woman. 93% disagree with that claim by gender ideology. 93%. When asked about their personal feelings about transgenderism, only 36% said that it's a healthy human condition. The rest said that it's unhealthy. Though, and this is important, only half of those who said it's unhealthy said they'd be willing to speak up and say so. The rest said that they keep quiet about it. When asked if elementary schools should teach about sexual identity and sexual behavior, 28% said it was appropriate. 42% said it was inappropriate. 30 said not only inappropriate, but dangerous. So that's 72% opposed in all. And then should minors undergo gender alteration procedures? 90% against. Now, there are still more people on the incorrect side of these issues than there ought to be because there ought to be zero. But this makes it clear that the gender ideologues are in a small, tiny minority. They have convinced basically no one. And that's, that's another interesting question that maybe we could do in a follow-up poll, which is like, whatever your opinion of this right now, have you changed it over the last five years? I'd say they've convinced no one because all the people who, you know, the, the whatever, 7% who said that, oh, you can't tell the difference between men and women. Um, most of them, you know, these are the people making the claim. These are the actual gender ideologues. So it's not like they've been convinced. They haven't convinced anyone of the rightness of their claims, I guess I should say. They have, however, convinced lots of people to be silent. They've convinced, quote unquote, lots of people to just sort of cooperate and go along. And that's why I'm hoping that our film, What is a Woman, will not only expose the total absurdity of gender ideology, but also give people the motivation, uh, the inspiration to take a stand against it publicly and unapologetically. Finally. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you've probably heard me talk about my Helix mattress. Helix has, I got good news for you, left the bedroom and uh, they started making sofas as well. They still make the great mattresses. They also make sofas. They just launched a new company called Allform and they're already making the best sofas we've ever seen or sat in, most importantly. So what makes an Allform sofa really cool? For starters, it's the easiest way that you can customize a sofa using premium materials and at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You can pick your fabric, the sofa color, the color of the legs, sofa size, the shape uh, that makes it perfect for your home and whatever living space you're putting it in. They've got armchairs and love seats all the way up to an eight-seat sectional, so there's something for everyone. You can always start small and buy more seats later if you want. Their sofas are also delivered directly to your door. Allform has simple, quick assembly, no tools needed. It's really easy to do. And if getting a sofa without trying it in store sounds a little risky, well, you don't have to worry. You get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund, but you will love it. Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash Walsh. To find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash Walsh. Okay, I want to go right to this because speaking of uh, why the movie is needed right now, let's go over to Wisconsin where three middle school boys are facing sexual harassment charges. Okay, middle school boys, sexual harassment. Why? because they, quote-unquote, misgendered someone. So here's the uh, local news report. Let's listen to that. 
I received a phone call from the principal over at the elementary school forewarning me, letting me know that I was going to be receiving an email uh, with sexual harassment allegations against my son. Rosemary Rabadou's 13-year-old son, Brayden, is one of the three eighth-grade Keel Middle School students accused of sexual harassment, something she disputes. He said he's being allegedly charged with sexual harassment for not using proper pronouns. I thought it wasn't real. I thought this has got to be a gag, a joke. Um, one has nothing to do with the other. According to the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, or Will, now defending the accused students, in March, one of their peers announced the pronouns they prefer to be addressed as, they or them. One of the alleged incidents Braden and the others were supposedly involved in happened in April. She had been screaming at one of Braden's friends to use proper pronouns, uh, calling him profanity. And this friend is, you know, very soft-spoken and kind of just sunk down into his chair. And Braden finally came up defending him, saying uh, he doesn't have to use proper pro pronouns. It's his constitutional right to not use. You can't make him say things. Some might say or think that you or your son are against the LGBTQ plus community. Not at all. Not at all. My my children have been raised to love everybody equally. Shortly after finding out her son was being investigated, Rosemary reached out to Will. Title IX sexual harassment typically covers things like uh, rape, uh, dating violence, uh, quid pro quo sexual favors, right? Really egregious stuff. There's nothing even remotely close to that alleged in this case. Will says the school district's policy doesn't cover the misuse of pronouns, and neither does Title IX. Okay, so treating uh, three middle school boys as rapists because they wouldn't use the pronoun that somebody wanted them to use. So we're going to ruin these boys' lives because they wouldn't use the pronoun. Please, I beg you, get your kids out of the public school system. Just get your kids out of the system. If it's at all possible for you to do it, if there's, if there's anything that you can do, if there are any other options in your life, get your kids out of the system. Because this, you know, Wisconsin, uh, it may be a liberal area, particularly where the school where the school is. I actually don't know. I don't know where the. I don't know. I'm not familiar enough with the various areas in Wisconsin. But the point is, this is not. Um, this didn't happen in San Francisco. I mean, I'm sure this kind of thing does happen in San Francisco, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Wisconsin. Um, so it's. They could just simply ruin your kid kid's life if you don't get him out of the system. And there's an important point here, also, just to. Uh, just, just to clarify, he was punished. These boys are punished not for using incorrect pronouns, but to make it all the worse here, they're punished for using the correct pronouns. Now, even if they had used incorrect pronouns, like if they had just gone up to some boy who is a boy and called it called the the, the the boy a girl, to call that sexual harassment is insane, obviously. But it's even worse than that. Because they used correct pronouns. They said what is objectively correct. And that is sexual harassment, according to the school. And the pronouns that were preferred here, they, them? Like, that doesn't... What if, what if uh, the, the kid said that uh, identified with one of these neo-pronouns? You know, the neo-pronouns are just the made-up gibberish. Zs, I have the uh, list here of neo-pronouns. Z, Zem, Zer, I, M, Er, V, Ver, Viz, Ni, Nem, Ner. Okay, what if the kid had walked in and said, um, I refer to me as Ni, Nem, or Ner now. What? That's, that doesn't, I don't know, that's, those aren't words. I wouldn't even know how to use that in a sentence because it's not a word, it's gibberish. But if the kids don't do that, are they sexual harassers now? Are we going to lump them in as rapists? Um, but this just goes to show, again, the point that we made at the beginning of the show in the opening monologue. This is fear and coercion that the gender ideologues are using. This is all they have. Okay, if we were to do a poll on, uh, on 
this idea of people identifying as they or them. I can guarantee you at least 90% of people would think that it's ridiculous. Once again, no one is being convinced of the rightness of any of this. All they have is fear and coercion. And the good news is that movements that rely, and we've seen, we see so many historical analogs here, so many examples throughout history. And we know that movements that rely entirely on, on fear and coercion and manipulation and force, they don't last forever. It's just, it's not sustainable in the long run. Now, if you can actually change people's hearts and minds, well, now you have something that could endure for generations, for thousands of years, potentially. But if all you have, if you're trying to force this uh, square peg into a round hole, basically, just, just, just through force, it's not, it can't last forever. Eventually, people get tired of it. Eventually, people gather up the gumption to, to, to stand and say, no, I'm not going to go along with this. And that moment, um, it has to be now. Now is really the time. It should have been 10 years ago or before that. But it wasn't. And now here we are in this moment. And we can all decide, especially those of us, and I'm sure most people watching right now are adults. So those of us who are adults, who are grownups, we can decide if we're going to finally take a stand and draw the line and say, we're done with this. We are not going along with it. We are not going to cooperate. I don't care what you do. I don't care. You can kick and scream and cry. You can call me whatever name you want to call me. But we're finished. If you're a man, I'm going to call you a man. And that's it. If you're a woman, you're a woman. And that's it. And those are the only categories that I will recognize and none others. You know, the people in the poll, the the large preponderance who said that, uh, yeah, they, they know the truth, but they don't want to say anything. I get it. I understand that you're afraid. Um, I understand it can be startling and unsettling when you've got a bunch of people screaming at you. Trust me, I know from experience. But if we don't draw the line right now, then, then what? We're just going to pass it off to our kids? Are we just going to coast through the rest of our lives and then turn around to our kids and say, uh, well, you guys got to figure this out because we are going to leave for you in an, a completely insane society where all semblance of, of sanity and rationality and truth has totally collapsed. You're welcome. Figure it out. No, we can't do that. I mean, our kids... Uh, aren't going to, it's too much to ask of kids. You know, in the trailer, we, we had the, uh, the one line there from Scott Nugent, who's someone we, we interviewed in the film. Um, the line, you know, got me at 42, your, your child doesn't stand a chance. And that's true with the qualifier that if you just abandon your kids, if we as a collectively abandon our kids to this madness, then they don't stand a chance. They do stand a chance if we take a stand and defend them. They have better than a chance in that case. All right, let's go to the latest on the mass shooting in Buffalo. Uh, this report, courtesy of the Daily Wire, says the gunman who allegedly killed 10 people and wounded three more inside a Buffalo supermarket Saturday had been flagged as troubled in his small hometown before mounting the apparently racially motivated attack, authorities said. The 18-year-old shooter allegedly live-streamed the murder spree on Twitch. Um, so this is yet another case where someone was known to authorities for being troubled and having violent impulses, and uh, but nothing really was done about it until finally tragedy strikes. Authorities said the suspect who allegedly drove some three and a half hours from Broome County, New York, to the Tops Friendly Market because it was free, frequented by African Americans, was on the radar back home after allegedly threatening fellow high school students in June of 2021. A government official familiar with the case told the Buffalo News a school official reported that this very troubled young man had made statements indicating that he wanted to do a shooting either at a graduation ceremony or sometime after. 
State police investigated the incident last year, and the suspect was referred for a mental health evaluation and counseling. Uh, Authorities said the shooter arrived at Topps Friendly Market at 2.30 p.m. wearing tactical gear and armed with a rifle. He shot four people outside the grocery store, three fatally before entering. Once inside, the shooter was confronted by a security guard, uh, Aaron Salter, who's a former police officer, and um, he heroically, uh, you know, attempted to defend the shoppers against this gunman, shot at him, but he was wearing the armor, and then he himself was killed, sacrificed himself. Uh, The shooter shot eight more people inside the store, six of whom died. And then he was uh, taken into custody. Now, a few things. First of all, as to the motive, which, you know, we note that authorities announced within minutes of the attack, like right away, they told us the motive, racially motivated white supremacist. Uh, Whereas in, say, Waukesha and with other attacks like the subway shooting in New York City, Some of these cases, they still haven't told us the motive. But it's clear in this case that the gunman in Buffalo was racist, targeted black people, targeted minorities. He was very clear about that. Beyond that, and he has this, whatever, 180-page manifesto that uh, the media is reading through and they're taking bits and pieces of it uh, because they're trying to find a way and they, they did it immediately, of course, find a way to blame Fox News, even though in the, man, like if we're, if we're taking this lunatics, quote unquote, manifesto and, and reading it and taking it seriously, um, one of the things that he apparently says in the manifesto, I only know this from the, from the clips and things that people have put on social media. I'm not going to sit there and read 180 pages of some mass-killing scumbags manifesto, but that's what some people have done, especially in the media, because they noticed a political opportunity. And he says, apparently, in the manifesto, that he hates Fox News. That's something that he mentions explicitly. And yet, the left has blamed Tucker Carlson and Fox News for this. And not just them. I've been lumped in, too. Because although this... Kid, I was going to call him a kid, but he's 18, year old, 18 years old. This man's ideology is a mess. It's just all, he's, again, a lunatic all over the place. Um, he does mention the so-called great replacement theory. And this is what's being, this is, this is what they're trying to hang around the neck of uh, Tucker Carlson, Fox News, really any conservative, myself included. Um, because Tucker Carlson and other conservatives have in the past pointed out that the Democrats have been very open about the fact that, you know, they want to have, they, they want to minimize what they call whiteness in America. And they want to bring in voters, you know, from other countries. They don't want voter ID laws. You know, they don't want to, they want to be able to bring in the voters and, and have them vote because they know they're going to be voting Democrat. So they want to replace, especially white male voters, with voters who they think are going to be beholden to them. Now, this isn't a conspiracy theory. Um, there's nothing wild or speculative about it. It's just a fact. And one of the ways that you know that it's a fact is because the left and the media, the New York Times, CNN, they've been very open about it many times. So if it is a theory, if the great replacement theory is a a theory, then it's a theory propagated by the left. They're the ones who go around talking about this this supposed scourge of whiteness. And what are we going to do to minimize whiteness? And how are we going to fight back against whiteness? So they say all of that, and then on the right, if we notice that they've said that, and we point out that, oh, they said these things, then we're the ones somehow responsible for a conspiracy theory. It's completely absurd and outrageous, and and worse than all of that, because in this case, they're taking 
this shooting, a very real event where 10 people were killed. And right away, I mean, they're not taking any time to mourn the, the, the lives lost or anything like that. Just immediately. Like Tucker Carlson's name was trending along with the shooting right away. Because these people, they don't care about lives lost. They don't care about the just untold human misery and, and suffering that's now happening because of what this scumbag did. They don't care about any of that. All they see is an opportunity, is a political opportunity. And, you know, it, it, the thing is, again, if you're going to read through this scumbag's uh, manifesto, which I don't even know why, you know, as, as, a, as a rational, sane person who's not looking to, make, to play politics with dead bodies, I don't, I don't know why you'd bother. But apparently he also said, and this is, this is something the left is bringing up because they're, you know, they're, again, they want to they claim that he was radicalized by the right, whatever that means. But apparently this guy says that um, around the time of the COVID lockdowns, he went online and it ended up on 4chan, and he was bored. And so he spent all his time online when COVID first started, and that's how he was, quote, radicalized. Well, there, there's an interesting thing there that, that maybe we could talk about, which is that you take this uh, person who is already incredibly disturbed, obviously, and then uh, you lock them in a home and just say, well, you know, just spend all your time on the internet. And then this happens. Maybe some connections we could draw there. And maybe at a deeper level, what we could really talk about is the, uh, the nihilism, the empty, emptiness, the, the uh, inability to see, to, to value human life. That is a real epidemic in our country. And whatever reasons this guy gave for what he did, that's what lies at the root of it. Just nihilistic, empty, do not recognize the value in human life. And despite the way the media portrays it, in fact, there are shootings in this country every single day. Sadly. And... Um, that's what lies at the root of most of them, actually. All the violence that plagues our cities. People just getting shot in the street for nothing. What lies at the root of that? Nihilist, empty, nihilism, emptiness. People with no purpose in life whatsoever. Who take uh, joy, pleasure in causing suffering. Why is there so much of that in our culture? Can we talk about that at some point? No, we can't because it's uh, more interesting to the left and more useful to them to find a way to blame Tucker Carlson. Meanwhile, uh, speaking of exploiting it, so Joe Biden is going to be visiting uh, Buffalo on Tuesday, which normally, no problem with that. It, that makes sense. The president should. If there's, a, if there's a mass terrorist attack, the president should, should be there, should make an appearance. Should go talk to the, to the victims. Absolutely. But you can't help but remember just a few months ago when there was a mass terrorist attack in Waukesha when a guy drove through a Christmas parade and killed uh, six people, including an eight-year-old child, and chose not to visit. Let's go back and remember. Uh, and In fact, we have the clip of when the White House was asked about Joe Biden visiting Waukesha. And, and here's the, the answer that was given. Listen. This administration is monitoring the situation in Waukesha closely. It has been revealed by prosecutors that the assailant, the assailant swerved his truck side to side as part of an intentional act to run over as many people as possible. Six people are dead. Some children remain hospitalized. Why hasn't the president visited the members of this Christmas parade attack? 
Well, I would say first, um, as you saw the president convey last week, our hearts go out to this community, to the people in Waukesha, that we've been in touch, obviously, with officials there. And we're all watching as people are recovering. And this is such a difficult time of year for, for this to happen. It's a difficult any time. Uh, obviously, any president going to visit a community requires a lot of assets, requires taking their resources. And uh, it's not something that I have a, a trip previewed at this plan, point in time. But we remain in touch with local officials. And certainly, our, our hearts are with the community as they've gone through such a difficult time. Hmm. Assets and resources. So they didn't have enough assets and resources. We've got to be careful about the assets and the resources uh, to, to send the president there. And so they decided not to. Now, a month after, about a month, maybe three weeks after the attack in Waukesha, uh, Biden sent his wife, sent Jill Biden, but chose not to go himself, never went himself, and uh, never met with the victims, families, or anything like that. Because of assets and resources, it takes so long, and it's just so much of a trouble. Meanwhile... Within three days of the attack in Buffalo, uh, they got all the assets and all the resources together. wonder why that is. Well, we know why that is. He didn't visit Waukesha because the victims were white. And the terrorist in that case was black. In this case, in, in Buffalo, the races are reversed, and so he's going to visit. Now, we're so used to this kind of thing from the Democrats and then ju- them just being vile, soulless goblins that, that you, know, you almost want to gloss right over it. But this is really extraordinary. To have the President of the United States who chose not to visit the site of a terrorist attack because of the race of the victims. Like he, is, he is explicitly... Maybe not explicitly because he's not yet saying it, but blatantly, he is blatantly choosing which terrorist attack sites to visit based on the races of the victims. And it's, we're so used to it. It's so bad that uh, when Democrats do that now, we just say, well, yeah, that's the Democrats. That's what they do. That's, that's just their Democrats being Democrats, which it is, but this should not be normal. Talk about things that should not be normalized. All right, now for some more uh, politicians embarrassing themselves on a, a lighter note. Here's uh, Lori Lightfoot. I think we have the tweet that she sent out. Okay, here she is. So she was in Texas, um, and she has a picture of herself reading To Kill a Mockingbird. And she says, in Texas, reading any damn book I choose, no banning of books or thought, ever. Now, first of all, let's keep the picture up there, because who reads like this? You're sitting on a stool. There's a bench right behind her. She's sitting on a stool at the bookstore, mask on, facing the shelf. Nobody reads a book like that. Is, this a, like, is that supposed to be a, a thing that normal human beings do? Yeah, let me uh, just go to the bookstore with my mask on, pull a stool up. No one ever reads. I don't think in history anyone's ever read a book on a stool. But she's sitting on a stool, facing the shelf, pretending to read. And second of all, um, just so you know, To Kill a Mockingbird, that book is not banned in Texas. It's, uh, you know, you can find that book anywhere. But the places that have tried to ban it, that's that's the left that wants to ban it. Because of the language in the book. And of racial insensitivity. So if anyone wants to ban To Kill a Mockingbird, it's the left. And third, maybe you should be more concerned, uh, Mayor Lightfoot, about what's happening in Chicago. Because speaking of uh, mass shootings, so here's, this is from the Chicago Sun-Times. It says, five people have been killed and 26 others wounded in shootings across Chicago since Friday. Now, this was, uh, this was a report that came out on Sunday. So uh, that's over, it's 31 people in, from Friday to Sunday in her city who were shot. And what is she doing? She's in a bookstore in Texas pretending to read To Kill a Mockingbird. Maybe you should be focused on that problem instead. The violence that absolutely plagues your city. Talk about nihilism, emptiness, people with no purpose in life. There's a whole lot of that in Chicago. People shooting each other for nothing, for no reason. While the mayor's off in a, at a bookstore in Texas pretending to read a book. 
Uh, more embarrassing moments from politicians. Kamala Harris. Uh, we're just going to play the clip. I don't think we need a lot of setup for this. Let's just play it. That is especially true when it comes to the climate crisis, which is why we will work together and continue to work together to address these issues, to tackle these challenges, and to work together as we continue to work operating from the new norms, rules, and agreements that we will convene to work together on to galvanize global action. With that, I thank you all. This is a matter of urgent priority for all of us, and I know we will work on this together. Hmm. Together, we'll work together so that when we're together, we'll be working together in a way that allows us to finally work together, together, working together to build a future together where we can finally work together on working together. Kamala Harris always trying to hit that word count. She's always got to, if it could it, it, take a, any sentence that, why say something in 10 words if you can say it in 600 words? That's sort of the, uh, that's Kamala Harris's motto. That was my motto, writing book reports when I was in sixth grade. That also is the way that the uh, vice president approaches these situations. We know the foundation of this great country is the Constitution, while the foundation of your family should be your faith and your beliefs. So I have a serious question for you. If something should happen to you or your spouse, God forbid, who do you trust to instill those same core beliefs and values in your children? Do you think it's the same person that the state would assign them to? Almost certainly not. If you don't have a will in place, you have no say in the future of your children. And if you're single, you don't think you need a will, well, you couldn't be more wrong. A will allows you to establish advanced directive and medical power of attorney. So if you haven't made one yet, you're not alone. But we're going to make it easy for you at epicwill.com when you use promo code Walsh. We're so excited that Epic Will is partnering with us at The Daily Wire. They're protecting our staff and our families. Let them protect yours too. Epicwill.com, promo code Walsh. This is how easy it is. You can secure your future in as little as five minutes with a complete package starting at just $119. And when you use promo code Walsh, you'll save 10%. Epicwill.com. This will be the most important five minutes you spend today. Again, go to epicwill.com. Let's get now to the comment section. Daily cancellations on the line. All right, uh, Austin says, I was just expecting this documentary to be like a non-conventional comedy special, but this legit looks like it's going to be huge for our, our culture. Uh, yeah, that's what I was saying. It's, it's, there's a, a lot of really funny moments in, in the film, but um, it deals with some really dark subject matter and it goes to some, some pretty dark places. So it's hilarious, but not at the same time. Uh, and you just have to see it to fully understand and appreciate Let's see. Faith says, you even went to Kenya slash Tanzania for this. This quest is on to find, uh, the quest is on to find out what a woman is for sure. The Maasai don't play about gender roles. That's for sure. Uh, they, they really don't. And um, like, like I said, we, the best moments in the film are not in the trailer. And that especially is the case with uh, our trip to the, to the African tribe, the Maasai, that was the Maasai tribe. And um, we, I, I went into, we, we had a detailed conversation with the Maasai tribe um, about the gender situation in the West, and you just have to watch it to listen to their insights. Um, ben says, Matt, planning a family movie night for What is a Woman, do you think it's appropriate for young kids? My youngest is nine. Absolutely not. Uh, I have eight-year-old twins, almost nine. They're not going to be watching this movie. They know that, they know that daddy is, has made a movie, but they also know that they're not allowed to watch it. Uh, if you have older kids, like teenagers, then that's really up to your discretion. I would watch the movie first and then decide if it's something that you think your kids are um, uh, old enough for and can be exposed to. But for young kids, no. Um, we, didn't, we didn't make this. This movie was not made for young kids. In fact, part of the point here is that th- these are things that young kids should not be exposed to. This is very much a, a movie for adults um, about a subject matter that is very much adult. Uh, let's see. Brandon says, can we get a video series of Matt doing a play-by-play of a comedy of errors involving failed life skills, as in today's cancellation, followed by his instruction in that skill? That's actually a great idea for a video series, and I might steal it. And the thing is, though, also about, about me instructing in these life skills, um, 
I am very deficient. I'll admit, I myself, I went to public school for 12 years, so I, I am also deficient in basic life skills. I am uh, just like your average American in that way. But, you know, I at least know how to cook without burning down my kitchen. So, when, when I, I guess the, the point is when we're in a situation where I am instructing people in life skills, and that's, uh, that just shows you how, how low the bar is. That's a bad sign. Um, Nicole says, I'd love to see you, Matt, hit the issue of men abandoning pregnant women and never paying child support. What kind of harsher punishments should be in place when this happens? Court orders are a joke. And what percentage of women are living in poverty with said children? Yeah, I'm uh, fully on board with forcing men. We talked about this last week. Forcing men to take care of their kids, take care of their families. Fully on board with that. Um, Absolutely. The problem, though, is, is the conflicting messages in our culture right now. Because when the child is conceived for the first nine months of that child's existence, we tell the father, this is none of your business. You have no power, no say, to the extent that um, the mother of your child can kill your child and you're not able to prevent it. And then as soon as the child is born, now we say, okay, you're on the hook for the next 18 years. So there's a, there's a real contradiction here. There's a tension that just doesn't, doesn't work. And so, yes, I think we should absolutely require men by law, as we do, and maybe these laws can be improved, we should require men by law to care for their children. But that requirement and duty and obligation and also privilege should, should begin not at birth, which is an arbitrary point, but at conception, at the moment that your child exists. You now have, as a, as a man, you have an obligation to care for that child, and the privilege to care for that child. That's the way it should work, if our laws made any sense at all, which they don't. Did you know that children can be targets of identity theft just like adults? School or medical office data breaches are common ways that their information is exposed to cyber thieves. You can help protect your child's identity by limiting how you share their social security numbers. Uh, you can find safe locations for their documents and also keep your online devices free of viruses and spyware. Do all of that. Uh, because, look, it's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. Your personal information or your, the information of your kids gets exposed so often, making it dangerously easy for a cyber criminal to steal your identity. Protecting your identity can be easy, though, with LifeLock by Norton. LifeLock detects and alerts you to potential identity threats you may not spot on your own, like loans taken out in your name. If you become a victim of identity theft, a dedicated U.S.-based Restoration specials will work to fix it so you get plenty of coverage and protection at every level of this problem. Nobody can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but it's easy to help protect yourself with LifeLock. Identity theft protection starts here. Join now and save 25% off your first year at LifeLock.com Walsh. That's LifeLock.com Walsh for 25% off. And also, you know, the Women's March was this weekend, as you heard, and in case you were too busy enjoying your life to notice, there were a lot of people very angry. I don't want to misgender anyone. Uh, just angry people shouting incoherent things about the right to murder children in the womb at any point of pregnancy, if they so choose. Meanwhile, if they'd only stayed home and watched our new Daily Wire original documentary, Choosing Death, The Legacy of Roe, they might have actually learned some relevant facts, context, and history that they could have incorporated into all their costumed chanting and graphic sign waving. But you can help us fight back. Become a Daily Wire member and watch Choosing Death, The Legacy of Roe, where you can hear all the facts and all the stories that the abortion regime has suppressed for generations. It's a very important film. You don't want to miss it. Uh, here's the trailer. Check it out. Um, many times when we did this, as we started, uh, patients would began crying and protesting. But once we had begun dilating the cervix and passing instruments into the uterus, it was too late to stop. I was handing hush money to women who we had left pieces of their baby. We had put these women's lives in jeopardy. We had put their lives at risk and we were literally giving them a check for $800. And for a poor woman, $800 is a lot of money. 
I mean, there have been so many moments in the last decade plus of going undercover in abortion clinics myself and seeing just heartbreaking things. Women vomiting in the hallway of an abortion clinic, crying out in pain. The late-term abortionists talking casually about how they would literally leave a born alive baby to die. Or if you deliver the baby in the toilet, then you pick it up and stuff it in a plastic bag and bring it to us. Babies are being born alive and the backs of their necks are being slid. They are being drowned. Um, their necks are being snapped. It's, it's happening more often than people want to think about. These abortion facilities, these abortion providers, these doctors, they don't care about these women. And you're just, you're realizing that you're watching in front of your own eyes play out America's greatest horror story, which is how we butcher children in the name of choice. The fight for life has all come down to this moment. So go to dailywire.com slash choosing and help us expose abortion's full gruesome truth right now. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today our cancellation begins with a person whose name is a fun riddle for someone like myself who infamously has so much trouble pronouncing names. I'll take one pass at this and we'll go with whatever pronunciation happens to pop out. The name is Raksha Vasudevan. Raksha Vasudevan. Here we go. She's a writer for the New York Times and Vice, and she's certainly the kind of person who would not be at all amused by me making jokes about her unpronounceable name. In fact, Miss V, as we'll all call her, recently went viral with a tweet about the harrowing challenges immigrants face in this country. She posts a picture of a sign that her Uber driver had posted in his car, and she captions, seen in today's Uber, thinking of making a duplicate to hang around my neck. And then the sign says, which the Uber driver posted, Dear passenger, please do not ask me, where are you from? The where are you from question uh, conversation makes me sick, frustrated, and uncomfortable. Thanks for your understanding. Now, until the sane parts of Twitter got a hold of this tweet and started responding, which led Miss V to deleting it entirely, many of the responses were from other immigrants applauding the Uber driver and voicing their agreement. I think just one example should suffice. A woman named Kian Julie Wang, who identifies herself as ex-undocumented, as well as a, a litigator, a vegan yogi, and an obsessive dog mom, all those from her directly, chimed in with this. I once had a white Uber driver ask me this, and when I said, here, he said, obviously, we all live here now, but where are you really from? I ignored him, and he asked again louder. I said I wasn't comfortable answering nor talking. He got very angry, louder, and insisted it was a very fair topic of convo, and why wouldn't I just answer him? It was so scary I had to call my husband and keep him on the phone the whole ride. PSA to white people, you are not entitled to interrogate the personal history of BIPOC or any random human for that matter. The only time I welcome this question is when a new Asian immigrant is looking to bond slash chat in a possibly shared first language. Many Koreans mistake me for Korean, which I take as a compliment. I once got scolded by an old Korean lady in K-Town for abandoning my mother tongue. Ah, oh, you see, if you're white, then you don't have permission to speak to her. But if you're Asian, then you can actually go up to her and scream at her, and she'll take it as a compliment. I can only hope that this woman's husband explained to her that the Uber driver was annoyed because she was being incredibly rude. But I think we can be fairly certain that uh, she would not have married the kind of man who would tell her the truth in situations like this or in any other situation. Her husband is likely as neutered as her dogs are, we might assume. But in any event, this, this all is, is quite common among young leftist immigrants. I don't say that it's common among immigrants in general. Most immigrants have probably never heard of the concept of microaggressions, and once they do hear about it, they begin to second-guess their decision to come to this confused society in the first place. But on the left, it's considered a microaggression and othering. If you say anything to a foreigner which acknowledges that they are foreigners, they don't want to talk about that aspect of themselves except for all the times when they do want to talk about that aspect of themselves. In fact, Miss V's bio on her website says this. 
Born in India and raised in Canada, Raksha Vasudevan is a writer and former aid worker. That's the very first sentence of her biography. The first thing she wants anyone reading her bio to know is that she was born in India. And yet she doesn't want it to come up in casual conversation. The self-contradiction is evident across the board. The left, of course, relentlessly insists that we celebrate immigrants, minorities, quote-unquote BIPOC, etc. And yet at the same time, we're not necessarily given permission to notice that anyone actually is an immigrant or minority. They'll tell us that, um, you know, that they will tell us when we're allowed to notice it and in what way and what we can and cannot say when we do notice it, if we've been given permission to notice it at all. We find a very similar dynamic with sexual orientation and gender identity, because on the one hand, the gay leftist or the trans leftist, they go to extraordinary lengths to advertise their LGBT membership, and they demand to be celebrated and, and worshiped for it. But on the other hand, just because you're required to celebrate it doesn't mean you're allowed to ask them about it or talk about it or make note of it. Again, they will make the rules that govern how you can speak to them or speak about them, and the rules are subject to change anytime without notice. You must not only follow the rules, but figure out a way to read their minds so that you can know the rules ahead of time. Because you also can't ask them about the rules. You can't do that. You just, you just have to know. You have to, you have to sense it intuitively. Is this one of those moments when it's a microaggression for me to ask them about their identity, or is it a microaggression to not ask them? Well, you, you just have to, you have to know. You have to read their mind. This is how they believe human interactions work, and they're wrong. So let me explain the reality. And I'm speaking now directly to Miss V if she happens to see this. Here's what you need to know. First of all, when somebody asks you where you're from, that is their attempt to be friendly. That's them trying to form a human connection with you. That's another human being reaching out to you, a fellow human being, in an effort to relate to you and get to know you. If this irritates you or offends you, that's a sign of something wrong inside of you. You're the problem. That's your hang-up. That's your issue. At best, it's a pet peeve. But here's the thing about pet peeves. They're your problem. I feel the same about pet peeves as I do about actual pets. You can have them. Lots of people do. But don't make them my problem. Okay? I don't care if you have a dog. I just I don't want to have to listen to him or find his... Uh, find his defecation on my lawn. Keep it to yourself. Except in this case, it's worse than a pet peeve because it's ego, which causes you to be offended by basic questions about yourself. This is your own weird little narcissistic impulse. Now you may tell yourself that because you don't want to talk about yourself in these situations, it's actually the opposite of narcissism, but that's not the case. It's narcissism because you, again, like any leftist, you believe that you have the right to set the rules for the conversation. You think you can and should control what people say to you. You want to set the parameters, not just on what strangers say to you, but on how they perceive you. Sometimes you want to be, perce be perceived as an immigrant. Other times you don't. And you think the rest of the world has to just dance along to whatever tune you happen to be humming at any given moment. No, that's not the world's responsibility. The responsibility, in fact, goes the other way. It is your responsibility to suppress and manage your personal hang-ups and unreasonable irritations so they don't become a burden on other people. You must conform yourself to the standards of a civilized society. Society isn't going to conform to you. Random strangers on the street, they don't know about your ridiculous pet peeves. All they know is that you're another person, a fellow human being. They might try to strike up conversation because they want to know more than that. They want to connect with you. And in your case, they'll quickly learn that the most pertinent facts about you are that you're rude, unpleasant, overly sensitive, manipulative, and controlling. But at least they'll never find out exactly where you're from. So you get your way in that respect, I suppose. Either way, you're still, in the end, canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, 
Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. And hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. John Bickley here, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our show, Morning Wire, where we bring you all the news that you need to know in 15 minutes or less. Join me and my co-host, Georgia Howe, for daily coverage of all the biggest stories on Morning Wire. Morning Wire. 